and welcome to The Bunker, your need to know on news and politics. I'm Ros Taylor. It's the issue that's tearing the Conservative Party apart. It's arguably the main reason we left the EU. And it's not just us. Germany, France and Australia are passing new migration laws too. So there couldn't be a better time to talk to Heinde Haas, the author of How Migration Really Works, which you can buy via an affiliate link in the show notes. Welcome to The Bunker, Hein. Thank you. Hein, your book is going to annoy a lot of people on the left, as well as on the right. It's profoundly counterintuitive, and it calls into question many, if not most, of the things that people think they know about migration. Let's take just one to start with. That migration is at an all-time high. Now, we know that net migration to the UK is high at the moment, but you say this is a blip. UK immigration is indeed at an all-time high over the last two years. But I think if you took a more long-term and global view, we get this impression, and this is really something that is indeed quite shared across the political spectrum, the idea that we live in a time of a sort of international migration crisis, which is linked to the idea that inequality, poverty, warfare, even climate change is pushing more and more people to leave their countries and increasing growing pressure on our borders. So this whole idea that migration is somehow spinning out of control or accelerating is quite dominant. Now, if you look at long-term patterns, it's a much more sobering picture we're getting. About 3% of the world population is an international migrant, so somebody who lives in a different country than he or she was born. The percentage was roughly the same 50 years ago. It was probably even higher a century ago. Of course, there are important underlying shifts, like indeed many Western European countries, including Britain, have become important destinations of migrants. But this is predominantly about legal migration. This is not about illegal migration spinning out of control or more and more refugees on the move, because even refugee migration, of course, goes up and down with the outbreak of conflict. But again, there is no evidence of a long-term increasing trend. Roughly one out of 10 international migrants is a refugee. So we talk about 0.3% of the world population. And that again, that percentage has remained remarkable, stable, if you look at long-term patterns. So there is no reason for panic, I would say, as a general conclusion, if you look at the data. So why have so many people come to the UK in the past couple of years? Well, there's two factors. I think there's been a structural increase in migration to the UK ever since the 1990s. And that can be primarily explained by the growing labour shortages, both in lower and higher skilled jobs. Even before Eastern European countries joined the UK, there was an increase in migration already to the UK. Like any other Western European countries, in many ways, the UK was a latecomer in that sense. And it has continued uh, over the past decades. Brexit had an interesting effect on migration, and migration researchers have known this for a long time, that if you don't take away the main cause of immigration, and the main cause of immigration to the UK is, is chronic labour demands, labour shortages in all sorts of sectors, if you then put in a barrier... So in the case of Brexit, the goal was clearly to stop free movement, free circulation of predominantly East European workers. Well, in that sense, Brexit has been a tremendous success because it has done what it aimed to do. It has not taken away the labour shortages. And these labour shortages have been particularly high also because of the post-COVID labour crunch, as it's often called, but also simply because of the fact that Britain, like any other wealthy country, 
in Europe has a high demand for migrant workers. And that wasn't taken away by Brexit. And the consequence has been that we have seen a geographical shift from most workers coming in from Eastern Europe and to some extent Southern Europe, so EU countries, more and more migrants coming in from Asian countries and African countries. So there has been a geographical shift. On top of that, more and more students coming to the UK. And another thing we know from research is that the more difficult it is to migrate, so if you need a visa, if you have to pay a lot of money, the more likely it is that migrants will stay and not go back. And that's not a big difference with Eastern Europeans coming in because it was largely a back and forth phenomenon. So what border restrictions also tend to do, they push migrants into long-term settlement. So all these factors can explain why in a, in a sort of irony, after Brexit, net migration has shut up from roughly around 200,000 before Brexit to over 700,000 last year. Because this is slightly mind-blowing for the tenor of conversations about migration in the UK, which is the automatic assumption that tightening up borders and making it harder for people to come here will lead to less people coming here. But you've just explained why that's not the case. And I think a lot of people will sort of struggle with that. Can you give us some examples maybe in the past of when countries have also tried to, to tighten up on migration, but actually found that there's more, especially illegal migration going on? Yeah, so two things have happened also in the case of Britain, and then I'll give an example. Uh, immigration rules, I mean, yeah, we left, uh, the UK left EU, but actually immigration rules have been eased up because we couldn't get enough workers. And we see that in a lot of countries. And the second thing we see is that labor laws are basically not enforced. What it means in practice is that also migrants who don't have papers, their labor is basically tolerated. So the same governments that have talked very tough on immigration have basically massively turned a blind eye on uh, illegal employment, basically. In the UK, the number of businesses that get prosecuted for employing undocumented workers is extremely low. We talk about 10 to 15 a year. Another example I can give is uh, Spain and Morocco. I've done three years of field work in Morocco. And before 1991, Moroccans would just cross the Strait of Gibraltar, which is only 15 miles, they would just get on the ferry to do, for instance, harvest labor or work in construction sites in, in the Spanish economy, which was already booming. But barely any Moroccans even bothered to stay in Spain because they just wanted to earn some money, have a good time and go back to Morocco. When Spain introduced visas for Moroccans in 1991, which Spain actually did not want to do, but in a way was obliged to do because they joined the Schengen Agreement and all the Schengen countries needed a common list of countries that needed a visa, that was the start of two things. It started smuggling because it became more and more difficult for Moroccans to go to Spain, it meant they started to use the services of fishermen in general to cross the Strait of Gibraltar. So it, it kicked off basically illegal migration across the Mediterranean. What it also did, it pushed Moroccan workers into permanent settlement. Some of them legal, some of them illegal. And in the end of the day, it meant that they started to have family members come over. So that's another unexpected effect. And now we have one more than one million Moroccans living in Spain. So that policy backfired completely because it did not take away the real cause of this continuing immigration, which was predominantly about labour. So there's a pattern of governments effectively using migration to fix their short-term problems, to fix their labour shortages, and then panicking 
when they realise that this means that people are coming and then trying to stop people coming and being left with the same problems as before. Yeah, so the, often the policies make things actually worse. I've been doing research on migration for the last 30 years. I'm often surprised that, for instance, to draw a parallel, if we have high inflation, we generally, politicians would ask some smart economists, what do we need to do? Well, economics is not a social science either, but we have some rough idea, for instance, raise interest rates, and we may disagree or agree by how much we need to increase those interest rates. When something goes on with migration, which people don't like, we rarely ever base the policy response on a real knowledge of the issue. So this is not a matter of being against or in favor of immigration. It's just the migration researchers saying, well, the policies you designed actually have backfired. So if your goal was indeed to decrease migration to the UK, which I think arguably was one of the motives behind Brexit, then you should have introduced a broader package of measures that really addressed the real cause of migration. Both Labour and the Tories say that we don't need so many migrants and it would be better if people born in Britain did the kind of jobs that they do. Why is that so hard to achieve? Well, there's two things going on. There are very broad, long-term shifts. We talk about the growing education of the British workforce, and that is a thing more more in general in European countries and, and all across the West. Second, the emancipation of women, which meant that women who used to do all sorts of jobs that currently migrants do, like cleaning houses, uh, minding after children, and so on and so forth, cooking, are now being done by migrants. The third factor has been aging, population aging, which means that simply the number of local workers that is willing and able to do a whole range of relatively unattractive jobs is simply not there. But also in some skilled jobs, think about the medical sector, the NHS that is growing increasingly dependent on immigration, uh, that has also been caused by a lack of sufficiently trained local workers. So... It is two-sided. I think it is very difficult to imagine any open market economy that is thriving in a wealthy country with low unemployment to not have substantial levels of immigration. I think that would be to create an illusion. But there is a link between the extremely high liberalized nature of labor markets in Britain and, and other Western countries and the increase of immigration because we've created all sorts of jobs that are very unattractive and that we're all too willing to outsource to migrant workers. And this is an open secret. So, yeah, and we need migrant workers. Uh, I think you can be critical towards that statement because should we indeed always design our immigration policies to serve corporate interests? I think that is a good question. But to deny or wish it away, I think that's also creating an illusion because everybody knows that certain jobs will not be done by local workers. So we need a serious debate on the kind of economy we want to have, the kind of labour market, or indeed to take the example of the NHS, why is Britain not educating sufficiently British healthcare workers? And that, if you really want to change that, this is going to require a long-term investment of the government in education, for instance. Uh, another thing is student migration. One of the reasons that migration went up so much in Britain is the growing number of students. And actually, UK universities are actively recruiting students abroad. The same happened in the US. Partly that is to do with decreased funding for higher education. 
because universities need other sources of income. Again, do you really want to reverse that? You need a fundamental restructuring, for instance, of your educational policy. The same for labor markets. We have made it so easy to hire people on temporary contracts, on all sorts of subcontracting constructions that have led to all sorts of labor we may not want to have. But if you really want to reverse that, you'd have to reverse 30 years of liberalization policies. So I'm giving those examples to say, well, if you're really serious about reducing migration, you really have to rethink some of your fundamental policies. This is an awkward thing for women like me, who have paid other women to clean and to look after their kids. Because, you know, it suggests not just that our going out to work is coming at the price of someone else, but also that perhaps we need to rethink how we arrange society in Britain and whether we want to carry on doing this or whether we want the kind of society where there is more institutionalised childcare, for example. What would we have to change about the way we live if we genuinely wanted lower migration to the UK? What sort of things that we're used to would, would have to change? I think the question you ask is excellent because this is also the main message in a way of my book. This is where I end my book with that a real debate about immigration is about the kind of society we want to live in. Do we really want to move towards a society where high middle income and middle income families in general are becoming more and more dependent on what I call the new servants of our societies who are often migrant workers? I think this is a very relevant debate. But then indeed you have to think about how are we going to arrange for childcare? What do we do with parental leave? Because, of course, if you look at the, let's say, the Scandinavian model, it's much more based on, on parents being able to take much longer paid parental leave, for instance, facilities for part-time work so that parents could take care of their own children more themselves, for instance, and indeed institutionalized childcare. So we become less dependent on all sorts of informal arrangements that often also lead to exploitation of migrant workers. So that's an excellent example. The same for elderly care. Elderly care in many countries is uh, is more and more done by migrants as well. So with an aging society, we need a serious debate, not about healthcare alone. I was just addressing that issue in terms of, can we really count on continuing to import healthcare workers from other countries? Is that really a viable scenario? Knowing that many countries that right now export a lot of healthcare workers are aging themselves in the future. So is it a luxury we can afford and do we want to live in such a society? And I think it's a really good debate, but it would indeed require a total revamping of how we organize care for the, for the sick, for the children and for the elderly. I think the care issue in particular is going to become more and more important because of population aging, and it's not something we can stop. One of the things that was talked about when the Commons held a big debate on the Rwanda bill was that migrants are a burden on the welfare state. Now, they were talking especially about illegal migration rather than legal migration. But what does your research tell you about that? Well, actually, research has been some really good research uh, on Britain on the what, what economists call the fiscal impacts of immigration, basically looking at whether migrants bring in more money in terms of taxes and then they, what they take out. And the picture is pretty clear. The overall contribution, certainly of recent migration, has been rather positive rather than negative. But I think the overall message is that those effects are actually very small. So any grand narrative that either states that uh, immigration is going to ruin the welfare state, undermine it, 
or is going to save in a way the welfare state. Both are very deceiving. Of illegal migrants, the irony is that in many cases they bring in much more because they do pay taxes in many ways, but they can't take as much out of the system as uh, regular migrants. Uh, this is not a plea in favor of more uh, illegal migration, but I think the statement simply is not backed up by any evidence whatsoever. And you could say that certainly in Britain, migrants hold up the welfare state in many cases. We were just talking about the NHS, which is growing increasingly dependent on immigrants. So, uh, the, but the evidence simply doesn't doesn't support any of such statements. Another argument that comes from the right is that migrants take jobs and drive down wages. We can see from what you said that they take up jobs that locals don't want to do. But doesn't the willingness of migrants to do badly paid jobs ensure that wages don't rise as they otherwise would? Yeah, I think there is some truth to the last statement. What econometric evidence shows is that generally immigration doesn't drive down wages on the whole. Uh, so because migrants basically come to fill in vacancies. We can have a good debate whether we want such jobs to, to exist in the first place. I think that's a valid debate, although you cannot think away all of those jobs, but some of the jobs, yeah, there is a good debate we could have about it. Um, if you look at the distributional impacts, as economists would call it, so who is benefiting most from immigration economically, there it gets really interesting and also, I think, politically important. It is clear that uh, already better off in society reap most of the benefits from immigration. And it is logical to understand why, because they don't only own the businesses that employ migrants and make more profits because of their labor, but also indeed we think about middle-class families that use the services that migrants provide. So there are all sorts of reasons uh, that make that understandable. And it is also true that the lowest earning native workers, including many ex-migrant workers, generally don't benefit from immigration at all economically. So you could say that perhaps immigration helps to keep those wages low. It's not so that they drive them down because that is overestimating what immigration actually is able to do. But then it becomes understandable that people living in neighborhoods, uh, including many ex-migrants, as we often call it, have the feeling that they don't benefit much from immigration economically, but are confronted with the real social changes that migration can bring as well. And these are not always positive. So from that perspective, it's understandable that native workers that earn around minimum wage ask themselves, what's in it for me? So I think these subtleties are important to understand why some people may be more positive about immigration than others. Is that fundamentally why it's so difficult for governments to do what they think voters want them to do about migration? Because their own interests as members of an elite clash with you know, the experiences perhaps of some of their constituents. Now, you know, I make that argument with hesitation because it's one that's made by the right quite a lot in Britain at the moment, but but is there an element of truth to it? Yeah, the striking fact is that there is actually no difference between left and right-wing governments in terms of the immigration policies they implement. And you could perhaps say that that gap between what politicians say and do or actually not do, and with the not doing, I'm particularly talking about the total lack of labor enforcement when we talk about the exploitation of migrant workers. So in a way, they turn a blind eye. And the tough talk and the focus on relatively small forms of migration, like asylum or indeed illegal migration, seem to function. I can never look into, you know, the brain, the brains of politicians, but 
it seems to really be an act of political showmanship to distract the attention away from real issues. And of course, migration hasn't caused the overall stagnation in wages, which we've seen over the last 30 years, the growing lack of affordable housing, longer and longer waiting lists for healthcare, and so on and so forth. But it becomes very attractive for politicians to focus just on that. But at the same time, uh, we, and I mean governments from across you know, the political spectrum, are, are turning a blind eye towards migrants doing all sorts of jobs and being exploited because it's very convenient. So this huge gap I find particularly striking, and it is one of the things I, I try to show with my book as well, that there is no real difference between left and right in, in the practices of immigration policy making, because also conservatives are, of course, also influenced by a very strong economic and business lobby that uh, wants to open borders, that want us to tolerate all these forms of exploitation. Thanks so much, Hein. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. How Migration Really Works is published by Viking. You can support The Bunker in a small way. It's as little as £3 a month by going to Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. The Bunker was written and presented by Ros Taylor. The producer was Eliza Davis-Beard, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, with music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters production.